the Texas Music Spotlight Podcast, supporting artists and musicians from the great state of Texas. And now, here's your host, Julie. Hey everyone, welcome to the Texas Music Spotlight. We are here with Chase Gassaway, all the way from Austin, Texas. His latest album, Certain Circles, uh, is really cool and you need to check it out. Chase, welcome to the podcast. How's it going, everybody? Good. Thank you so much for doing this, man. Yeah. It's always fun to, to get artists in uh, different genres on here and, and listen to uh, all the different types of music. Like I said, this is recording for a podcast. People will jump in and out occasionally. Don't worry about that. The audio is still going to be used for the podcast. All right. So what have you been doing, man? Uh, today, I've been cooking a pot <laughs> roast. What's that? Today, I've been cooking a pot roast. Oh, nice. And arranging some tunes, but, you know. <laughs> Tell me about some of the... Uh, you're starting music. How you got started, man? Uh, man, it's hard to tell, really. Music's always been a part of my upbringing. Uh, raised in the church, and so we had children's choirs since, you know, you could breathe here and that. And then uh, elementary school, I had uh, played cello for the orchestra. Switched to trombone in middle school. Um, in middle school, I also started a rock band a little bit. Started learning piano and guitar. And kind of just, uh, it's always, always been a, a thing in my life, and it's kind of hard to tell where it started. Yeah, you remember the the first uh, at what age you started playing? Cello was probably I guess the youngest instrument. That was fifth grade. Fifth grade. All right. All right. Now, one one thing I was thinking about earlier is like when you were growing up, how much of your parents' music has influenced to what you listen to? Because I know I was thinking back, I was heard, hearing a song on the radio. I was like, man, I used to hear that in my mom's car. Oh, yeah. Football games, stuff like that. Just it brings back all those memories as a kid. Yeah, I mean that's really the main time you hear it was in the car because when you're in the car with mom, you don't really get a say in right. the uh, radio station. So she listened to a lot of uh, kind of '90s era country music, okay. and that was a big root of what I was into. Um, my rebellion against that was I was a lot into like punk and grunge music and and harder rock music. And uh, but they they blended over pretty well. Like a country boy, Texas boy, so it wasn't hard to to get into some Garth Brooks or George Strait when it was on the radio. Yeah, yeah. And does any of that rub off in your writing? You know, it has to somewhere. Uh, I mean, anything that is Not in your that much has to be right. And uh, I mean, country music in general is. I'll, I'll play a lot of my sets if I need to, because you know I'm in Austin, Texas, and. People hire you for for a gig. They want to hear a little bit of country in there, but uh, I don't really sing with any type of draw. So even if I perform a country song, it's not going to sound like a country song. Right, right. It's going to sound like that. I'm you already, you've already developed your own style. And I watched, you know, I watched uh, some of the videos and I listened to some of the music. And the first thing that uh, my son played it for me, uh, he does the social media. He's the one you've been talking to, my son Jules. And, okay. um, he's actually at a, at a show right now, so he can be here. Uh, so one of the things he, he, when he played the song for me, the first thing that came to my mind was uh, Paul Simon. I have no well, idea. That's, that's an interesting part of it, too. My, when I was in my dad's car, around my dad, uh, you know, kind of the rock music that I was intentionally kind of rebelling with was just, he did not like it at all, you know. And so our common ground was Paul Simon, actually. Nice. So the first concerts we went to uh, together in, uh, in Grand Prairie, like seeing him on the big stage, was actually a... Probably a big formative part of, uh, of my musical experience was seeing Paul Simon play live in a, in a big setting. 
But what I loved about him was it was it was folk music, but it was really great lyrics. But then the music itself was beyond kind of just the standard diatonic chord notations. Like he would actually blend a lot of modal stuff and really tricky stuff and make it seem really easy and still folk inspired, you know? Yeah, and he was being played on, on pop radio and it was that, that mixture of, you know, all those elements being put on the pop radio and and as I don't know why I don't know if it's your phrasing but that's the first thing that came to mind was, was Paul Simon and that's uh, that's, that's definitely why did you bring that up because that that's what I heard in, in 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 and like I said I don't know if it's the phrasing the writing or the the, the, the chords but that's that's a, that was my first impression probably the sheer talent level I would assume just it's just no, that tell me about the the album the album was released uh, two twenty fourteen certain circles yeah right at the beginning of it uh i've been trying to work it out for about two years now so it's still in the uh in the radio world and in a lot of uh, publishing world still considered new i've got some other stuff that's in the works but that's like the last published record that i've been producing and and, and pushing how was that uh that process of writing that recording it all that good stuff i mean so i, I produced it myself um I recorded it at Rainbow Creek Studios. That's in Austin, Texas, mm-hmm. with uh, Britton Bisonhurst. And what I love about working with Britton is I can fully let him engineer because he's got a great technical mind, but also a musical mind. So I could communicate with him how I wanted to sound, and he could actually make those elements happen with the mic choice and everything. But the production level uh, all came from uh, from me just doing a lot of pre-production in my home studio here. This is my home studio that I'm in right now. Not a whole lot, but enough for a songwriter to. Uh, through the layout parts and um but yeah going into the studio was actually really fast uh studios are expensive and you don't have a lot of money and so i knew i wanted to do a 10 song record and i had some kickstarter funding to uh, to help me in there but uh i try to be as tight with my uh studio hours as i could so we pretty much everything orchestrated and rehearsed and and just went in there and just knocked out a bunch of takes. Really, most of the first takes we took were the ones we ended up using for the, yeah. the record. So it's got that little sparkle to it, the little magic in it. Is this your first full-length CD? First full-length, yeah. I've dabbled since around 2005. It was my first... Uh, I did an EP just to see if I could do one. You know, I was a college kid. and uh, was just trying to see if I could you know, make the process work. And so I did the studio orchestration with the cello parts and all the orchestra parts and everything. And when they were playing it myself, and if I did that record again now, I'd do it a lot differently, but you got to start somewhere. Yeah, it's always that way, man. You always look back at the old recordings like, man, I wish I would have done this, one done that, and it's like, well, you can't. It's on. It's down on tape, and you can't. <laughs> That's one of my favorite things, really, about music. I think it's an interesting time that we're moving back into with, with digital music is uh, the term record, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a moment. It's a recording of right. that moment, how you played, how immature you were, you know, uh, and how you actually, you know, were in that moment, and then you have a record of that moment. You know, so you can take the same song, replay it again ten years later, and that that record is is brand new. You know, the records there, the live performance may be different, totally different by the time, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I try to stay pretty close, but like in Austin, I tour around with a lot of different uh, types of players. So depending on what the ensemble looks like for the gig. Like the record's got lots of strings and, uh, and brass, and so I usually have something like that, but I can make do with a, with a clarinet here, or upright bass, electric bass, kind of just whatever, whoever convenient for the set. Yeah. All right, well, let's get you to play, man, and we'll talk more about the, about the band and playing and, and performing. 
All right. right. What What are you gonna do first? Uh, this song's called "Feeling Good." Nice. your writing i mean do you consciously think of it has to do this and it has to do this or is it more i wouldn't use the words has to i would say the i would say the advantage of a, of a musical education and composition is your desire of what you want the music to do you can actually make happen versus a limitation 
questions of knowing what you want it to sound like but not being able to. So it's not a it's not something to me that binds as much as it opens up the doors to a lot more sonic sound. Right. Yeah, I used to I used to tell that to my students when I was teaching that uh look, I'm just gonna give you the tools, what you decide to do with the tools and build is totally up to you. And um I, I just find it uh I I talked to, I forgot who it was that I talked to and he's like, you know what? It he goes, My education is in there, but I don't consciously think about it. He says, When I write, I, I know my options. I know what I can and can't do. And but even at that, the the rules in order to break them, you gotta know what they are first. So Yeah, I mean that's a good way of looking at it. Um to me, I mean, one of my, my favorite examples is uh, I've got a friend named Bob Barney. He's a songwriter. Mm-hmm. And uh, he would write these songs with these beautiful progressions that were, you know, extra tertian and, you know, past the diatonic and, and, and great, great use of uh, harmonic vocabulary. But he had absolutely no idea what chords he was playing. And so he'd, he'd joke around. He's like, man, I really need to learn some theory. I need you to teach me. And I would tell him, like, I'm not going to teach you any theory because that would mess you up. Right. So it depends on where you're at. Um, I mean, for me, I'm during the week, I'm, I'm writing a lot of orchestra scores uh, for for other people, for for schools, for uh, really. For and so I'm I can go in and out of that brain part of my creativity pretty easy. And actually, as I'm thinking about musical ideas, I can already start expressing them on a page. And uh, that's just kind of how I'm, I'm able to, to lock down stuff. Like a lot of guys need to have a recording device if they have an idea. Right, right. If I'm like in an airport or something, I can, uh, I can actually scribble down the notation of what I'm hearing without having to, you know. Because back in the day, like people didn't have a phone. They could suddenly just record an idea and they had an idea that yeah, now you got, you got iPads, iPhones, all this kind of stuff, and you can you can jot down an idea either recording or notation one. There's so many great notation devices on uh, notation apps on the devices now, so it, it makes it a lot easier to to get your ideas out there. Yep. So what? Uh, tell me about your band. You have a, you have a full time band, or you just kind of pick and pull? What do you feel like for that for that night? It's a pick and pull kind of option. Uh, most of the time, I mean, ninety percent of my touring is solo. Uh, just because it's more financially viable to do that here. Um, especially when I'm going across state and I'm on the road about two weeks out of every month. And, uh, if you tour with a large band, you set a lot of overhead. And so uh, I try to just make my awesome performances or my regional performances be where I pull up the full band, which I really enjoy more. Um, a lot of my guys I've played with for years and years. And so. It's very organic. And what's fun about the arrangements and how I play is that uh, if I'm playing with the right group of guys, it, it might be completely different than, than how I played it last we're going to lean into each other. I try to write with a song structure style that has enough um, meat on the bone that uh, you can change the song around and change the feeling and actually still work. But yeah, usually it's bass, drums, um, some sort of orchestral instrument because... That's just use it where my heart lies, you know. Violin, trumpet, something like that. I hear, I hear. Uh, so, Turi, how far do you go out? Let's see here. Um, regional or you go national? I do. I mean, the furthest I've been out uh, this year is probably just over to uh, to Nashville. Uh, last year, I went all the way up to the Pacific Northwest. I'm trying to get to New York there this year. Kind of just depends on where the route lays out. I mean, my normal summer routes uh, is where I tour a lot to my wife's a teacher, so she can tour with me. And uh, we kind of make a vacation slash tour, but we'll go up to the mountains all the way up to Colorado and 
You do all the booking or you have a booking agency? What was that? You do all the booking or you have a book, booking agency? Uh, both. If it's, uh, if it's regional, a lot of times it's me. Um, but even outside of, uh, of Austin, just like the Houston area, anything beyond, I use that least of all booking out of Brooklyn. That's always fun to get. And speaking of married life, uh, do you have kids? Not yet. Okay. I'm trying to warm up the idea of them. But, yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, well, how is it traveling? And, and obviously you said you travel with your wife, which is always really, really cool. Um, so how is the family married life of a musician for that, for at least for you? I mean, marriage to me is really easy. Like I've always had a great relationship with my wife and never really... That's never a point of tension in my life, where I think it is for a lot of musicians. Uh, she's always let me be me. And so uh, I just actually enjoy being married. <laughs> and uh, it's been great about the past like five years of my life, just kind of seeing a lot of songwriters that are all over the world touring um, that have families and have good relationships with their kids and are able to function in both of those parameters uh so i've seen it done successfully and healthy healthily hopefully and uh so um yeah i I don't think there's something that has to uh to be in battle for them to to both work is she your number one fan hopefully (laughs) i always think so does she have your cd in her car that's what i want to know oh that actually probably (laughs) uh my mom does though. My mom. Okay. <laughs> I think if Cassie spun the right record all the time, I'd get annoyed by it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> now I have to ask this because I I've asked a lot of musicians about this. What's the most embarrassing thing? Uh, oh, look, we got a shout out to the number one fans' girlfriends. That's uh, my son's girlfriend in the chat room, and of course, nice. my, my wife is an amazing wife too. She puts up with my music and. Uh, and uh, it's really, really cool about the whole thing. Um, so I have to ask this. What's your most embarrassing moment on stage? Hmm. As a person, I'm pretty much kind of the embracing of, uh, of, the, of the crazy and the chaotic. And usually I'm making other people on stage feel intentionally uncomfortable. Yeah, because I've, I've fallen down on stage and even yeah. off the stage. <laughs> I would say if it's going to be something that's uh, of that nature, I was playing one time with a with a Motown group that I'd started, and uh, I was doing a James Brown number and was getting really active, and I was going back and forth all over the stage, and um, as I was going to hop in and doing some high knee steps, the heel on my shoe broke off, and so when I landed, I just had no balance and actually fell completely into uh, the keyboard players. My buddy Dan Redner was, was playing keys. We were up on a, a pretty high stage, about a four and a half foot stage. And uh, yeah, he totally, like a pro that comes to absorb the blow, went down and then just like pushed me and the keyboard all the way back up. And then I got So with that, what's been the most rewarding experience on stage? What, what's, what's been the coolest gig you ever did? The coolest gig, um, as a philosophy, I always try to think They're all that the cool. coolest gig is always the next one. Right. Uh, and that's because if I'm playing a gig, it's currently that gig. Uh, I try to be in the moment as much as possible. And I've had some good, like, large crowds, and sometimes people use that as a base. And 
the favorite crowds I've played for um, are the ones that are just really you know, uh, listening and engaging. Uh, Kerrville Folk Festival is probably a good memory just because the people there are just completely silent and staring at you like while you're while you're performing, which is nerve-wracking but also endearing because they, yeah. they really care about songcraft. Um, so a lot of the folk community of Texas is like that. Um, but to me, yeah, the ones that are memorable is just little one-off gigs where I had a connection with someone. You know, somebody really got the lyric or got you know, into the music enough to where I can, we're having a, a connection. Right. Those are, to me, the ones I try to, those are the ones that keep me going, you know? Oh, yeah. Makes, makes it worth it, right? Yeah. I see all the instruments. Do you play all those instruments back there? Uh, most of them. <laughs> so, yeah, this is, uh, this over here is my, my manual, I guess. At one point, I had 11 ukuleles. Uh, <laughs> My wife had to kind of hold an intervention, and now I'm down to uh, one, two, three, four. I'm down to five now, so I'm five. getting better. How many guitars? Uh, What's that? How many guitars do I see there? I see a, that a telly back there. Uh, guitars, I got. Uh, I'm a telly fan. I love tellies. Yeah, my actually my telly is up at my church right now. I don't have it. I got a. Well, this is a telly. Yeah, that's the one I saw. My eye spotted that one, see. Yeah, this is a uh, this is a Tux J. Nice. This is by a company called Sublime in uh, Florida. And then uh, this is a really weird thing. It's a Les Paul knockoff. You see all these effects that are built into it. Is that is that a real Les Paul with all that stuff in there? No, this is, um, the company is K. Oh, okay. Like EFF Effector. But, uh, yeah, it's got all these built-in weird effects on it, and they sold them on the market in the 70s. So it's just kind of a studio trick guitar to have sometimes. How does that thing sound? Uh, like your amp's broken? (laughs) This is my real ass one of my standards there. There you go, yeah. Yeah. The other ones I don't have with me, though, are uh, Moniker is a local company that I like. They hand-build guitars. Yeah. That's my hollow body. And for those of you listening on the podcast, um, you can watch the video. I'll upload the video. You can see all his guitars. Really, really cool stuff. Uh, what's your main axe? What's the one you can't do without? What's the axe that if you lose all your guitars, this one you cannot lose? Um, let me show it to you, actually. A couple of years ago, my grandpa passed away. And uh, one of the things that he left me, and actually one of the things that uh, I write about on the record, the song Where I'm Coming From. Yeah, I, saw, I heard that one. I like that one. Yeah, I wrote that whenever my grandpa um, passed away. He left me this 43 Gibson LG. So I sat down with it. There we go. Nice. Yeah, this is the one that if there's a fire in the house, we run back in to get. Uh, yeah, um, when I got this guitar from the funeral, like I came home with it. He actually never had a case for it, you know, since he bought it brand new in the 40s. And I never had a case. He sat on the porch. And um, but I finally got it. I was back in Austin and I sat down and I played a lick on it and it was like. 
Since you have it out, you want to do a song? Sure, yeah. So from that lick, I mean, sometimes songs take, you know, years and years and years to write. Sometimes they take a life of their own and just come out, right? Yeah, this one was one of those that I kind of came out in one moment and that's how it was. Nice. So this is called Where I'm Coming From.
You might understand where I am coming from. You might understand where I am coming from. You might understand where I am coming from. I really dig that song, man. Thank you. I, it's usually crap. I, I, I dig it because I, I know where you come from. You, you got that from your grandfather, right? The guitar. Yeah. And those two guitars that I have back here on the back, one, one yeah. belonged to my, my godfather and the other one belonged to my uncle. Uh, the one that belonged to my uncle was actually shipped back from Vietnam in a box. Oh, wow. So, That's pretty amazing. Yeah, my grandmother gave it to me some, some years ago, and, and uh, it hadn't been opened since it was shipped back. And I got the guitar about 10 years ago and had, hadn't been hoping since that day she gave it to me. And when my godfather passed away, uh, my godmother gave me his guitar. I had the one where my finger's at right there. That's his right there. And awesome. the one thing about that guitar, my, my godfather, is I had it in the case for a long time. And I sh- took it out to show one of my students. And I noticed there was something in it, something rattling around in there. And I was like, what the hell's going on here? Well, I finally looked inside of there, and there's two rattlesnake tails in there. Oh, yeah. yeah? I have no idea what they're for. Use them as a shaker? I made, that was one of my thoughts, is maybe as a shaker, uh, or they, they believe they didn't have the sound, but it freaked the hell out of me. When I saw it, I was like, oh, there's two rattlesnake tails in there. <laughs> All right. All right. So, man, that, I, I, like I said, I really, that's, that song kind of pushed me into this. And when I, when I heard it, I thought about my, my two guitars that were passed down to me as well. Um, so thank you for that. Awesome, man. Uh, now we're going to get to the fun part of this podcast called the Texas Two-Step. Two songs, uh, two, not two songs, two questions that have nothing to do with music. Uh, and usually those are written out by my son, Jules the Human, which I'm going to shout out to him because he's not here. And he's out performing somewhere. Where is he, Sam? He's going to type it in. Where is, where is my son at tonight? Incarnate Word. Okay. Well, he's performing out there. Uh, so two questions that have nothing to do with music. Number one, uh, what's the one food you can't do without, Chase? The one food I can't do without. Your guilty um, pleasure. Uh, so my wife would attest to this. Uh, it would be Big's brand ranch sunflower seeds. <laughs> uh I mean, half my life is driving. If I'm on I was, was going to so. say, you have, you have a big bag right next to you drive, I know. Yeah, uh, so yeah, pretty much if I'm driving, I have to have a bag. And I'll actually, if I pull over and I'm like, I'm out and they don't have my brand, it's like, I don't, I'm, I don't smoke cigarettes, but if they don't have my brand at Sunflower Seeds, I'm, I'm noticeably kind of upset. <laughs> but, um, but they help you stay awake, yeah, right? Eating Sunflower Seeds helps you stay awake, right? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's just it's the activity of doing something about it just helps me focus on it. <laughs> but then you know, the shells are the part that my wife hates, and uh, so I do my best to to spit into uh, the proper containers and then get them out of the car. <laughs> oh my God, Sam! You, Sam just asked a question, but that was actually my second question, Sam. I have it on here, and I'll show it to you. If you don't believe me, if there was a movie about your life, what would it be about, and what actor would you like to play 
your character? Um, so, I mean, so you have to enhance it a little bit for the biopic, you know. Um, I would go with Mark Wahlberg. There you go. Because uh, that's my my wife's uh, secret secret man crush. <laughs> um, so I'm always aspiring to uh, his his uh, his upper bicep form. <laughs> uh, but actually, honestly, it's funny, as an actor though, uh, he does a lot of goofy stuff. But he does a lot of like very very real stuff at the same time. Um, it's kind of like when you see like Jim Carrey tackle uh, a really beautiful uh, drama piece when you're used to seeing him be so crazy. Right. Uh, Versus, he's a versatile actor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of how my life is. Like people that know me know that I'm extremely goofy, very quirky, um, and always purposely kind of like pushing the conversation in the directions that are sometimes uncomfortable, but at least interesting. And, uh, but at the same time, I, I'll be very introspective and deep and, and, and real with people. So it's got, it's got a, some, someone's got that kind of a character. Right, right. And Sam said she would be totally down to watch Mark Wahlberg play a uke. Yeah, I mean, that would be pretty hot. I bet he could, actually. Right. I don't think there's anything that man can't do. Right. <laughs> so that was a Texas two-step. Just two random questions. They got nothing to do with music. Actually, that last part, that was about music. But what do you got coming up this year, Chase? Uh, this year, I got a couple of festivals this month that I'm excited about. Uh, Songwriter Serenade is in uh, Moravia, Texas. Um, I was a semifinalist last year, and I'm semifinalist again this year. And that's a great um, songwriters festival. And then later on in May, I'm playing Wildflower Festival. It's in Richardson. Um, that's a pretty, pretty large festival. Probably one of my bigger ones I've played. Uh, headliners are Finger Eleven and uh, who else is on? Unwritten Law, some good bigger rock bands. I'm on the songwriter stage, though, so I'm a little bit more personal, intimate. Yeah. Than, but uh, those are some big festivals. And, and then I've got a new record that I'm trying to figure out the launch campaign for it to get out by the end of the year. So. How was the Kickstarter? I mean, was that, did you have good success with that? Well, so I've done Kickstarter on one album. That was my first record. Um, yeah, it was great. It's, uh, it's a great platform just to, to rally people around your record. I think more than the financial um, help that Kickstarter obviously makes because you raise the funds, it's uh, you get people excited and you really see who your real fans are, you know, your, your patrons that are actually going to support you financially and then you can then share with them specifically uh, right. a moment to help make it happen together. Did you have the little giveaways for different amounts? Yeah, I mean, I uh, gave away bundles of CDs. I had some previous CDs and Christmas records and some smaller stuff and uh, t-shirts, I did some written lyrics, uh, handwritten lyrics. Um, I actually said some of the original lyrics from when I wrote them in my journal that I framed. Uh, I did some custom Polaroids from the studio. Right. Uh, Tim, a couple of house concerts. Actually, house concerts are my, my favorite seller, if I could sell more of those. Are, are you doing those? I mean, how, I've, heard, I've heard about them. I, have, I know a guy who does house concerts and puts them on. How, how is mm-hmm. that? Honestly, it's some of my favorite... Uh, Favorite shows I've had. Because if your goal in a concert is to connect with people, right. um, the facility of a house is really the best place to do it. So what I tell people is if they have a power outlet, then I can show up. i got a full PA, and I can put on a show in their living room or their garage or their backyard or their church or just wherever they've got some space. And uh, if everybody brings some foods and drinks, then it really just, it truly is hanging out and playing music. Right. 
a lot more personal, talk about the songs, talk about the stories behind them, and host a little bit more. I'm essentially hosting a party is what I'm doing. I just happen to have a guitar in my hands. So we put on a house concert. You'll show up, huh? Yeah, come on. Let's do it. Because <laughs> that would be an idea to have a house concert and have some of the people that we've had uh, uh, on the podcast come in and, and just jam for us and record it and put it all on, on the interwebs. That'd be cool. Yeah, I mean, essentially for artists, too, they're almost, um, especially for songwriters, almost a more viable means of, of playing a show. Because if you have everybody, you know, 10, 15 people even, if they bring 10 bucks a piece as a donation and then I'll buy a record, then, you know, that's a great show. Yeah. That's an, that's an idea. I was talking, now my son's back in the room. I was talking to him about putting an event on in, in the summer. Uh, with some of the alumni of the podcast, and we're still throwing the idea around and stuff like that. But <clears throat> I don't know. You brought up house shows, and I think that'd be a cool idea as well. I mean, originally, if you look at socially the way music really happened, I mean, you have the uh, the Baroque period. Um, a lot of times there was, it was full symphonic works, obviously, where you right. go see it at a hall. Music was mainly just done in the home, as part of music. Right. You'd have a, you'd come to your house to play. Uh, your harpsichord, and eventually your piano forte, and, and that's what that's what music was. It was people hanging around in their house playing music. It wasn't a big concert venue like you would expect. Right. Well, Chase, man, I want to thank you so much. I'm going to give you the option. Do you want to do another song? I mean, we've got some people in here. Uh, yeah. It's up to you. If you, if I mean, I'll leave that up to you. <laughs> I can do one. Yeah, let's do. Uh, let me get this third your grandfather's guitar now you're going to bring the third guitar out what's, what song are you going to do for us Chase uh, this is a song called The Ship here we go Beside the dotted line, but you played the game most every night. It's not a crime, but you know it isn't right. You know your face and how you sound. Even let you come around It's not your fault But maybe you're the one To blame When the ship goes down Who will you save? And who will you drown? Will the lifeboat hold all of your silver and all of your gold? Well, underneath the stain veneer, things are finally coming clear. And they could be true, but they could be what you use to cope. When the 
the ship goes down, who will you save? And who will you drown? Will the lifeboat hold all of your silver and all of your gold? It's not an easy call. Our backs against the wall. A thousand people are screaming. Something's gotta change, change, change. Well, if something's gotta change, change, change. When the ship goes down, who will you save? And who will you drown? Will the life all of your silver and all of your gold Chase Gasaway. Thank you. Very cool, man. Uh, you can find Chase Gasaway at chasegasaway.com. You can find him all over Austin. Check out his tour dates. Uh, buy his stuff, his latest album, uh, Certain Circles, available on down, uh, iTunes, all that good stuff. All that's, yeah, pretty much anywhere you can find a digital store. Just go to chasegasaway.com. You'll find everything you need to know. Go see this guy. He's got a great sound. Check him out on the online, on the interwebs, on YouTube, everywhere. Uh, thank you so much, Chase, for doing this. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been a fun time. Awesome, brother. Uh, this is Julian. This is, and for my partner, Jules the Human, this has been the Texas Music Spotlight. Thank you and good night. Thank you for listening to the Texas Music Spotlight podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and visit our website, texasmusicspotlight.com, to find out how you can be a part of the live recordings. Until next time, please continue to support local artists and music in your hometown. Thank you.